Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Deniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Welcome back to our monthly fireside chat with a physician to get to know their journey, their joys, and their struggles with finances and, of course, outside of finances. Now, in our show today, we are going to be speaking with a physician that was a top performer in medical school and then really got to this point of struggling where she questioned whether or not she wanted to be in clinical medicine. As a matter of fact, fresh out of her residency, she decided not to. And so we're going to talk about that journey and this successful transition because now she is helping other physicians do this as well. And so with that, please help me welcome Dr. Michelle Mudge-Riley. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me today. So glad to have you here with us, Michelle. And as we get into this podcast, often we get into talking a lot about debt and taxes and living a liberated lifestyle as you are, free from clinical medicine. But before we get to that, I'd just love to know more about your background. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, great, thanks. So I grew up in Colorado, and I lived somewhat of a sheltered life growing up. Um, I had a great family. Things were good. My dad was in sales and he did well. So we went on a lot of nice vacations. Um, So I got to see some of that and it was nice. I had always wanted to go to medical school and become a doctor really since the fourth grade. And um, that moment, I remember we were in an airport going somewhere. Maybe it was Disney. I forget exactly where. But remember those little um, wings they used to give to the kids when they would fly? Yeah, yeah. So I got a pair of those. My sister and I did. And I I don't know why this moment stands out in my memory, but I was holding those. And I remember turning to my father and saying, I think I'm going to be a doctor when I grow up. And (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it had no relevancy to the moment whatsoever. Uh It's just, I'm not sure why I thought about saying it then or, or what, maybe Maybe it was the conversation leading up to it, which, of course, I don't remember. But whatever the case, he was, of course, very excited and from then on encouraged me, as my whole family did, as most people's families do when you tell them that you want to be a doctor. Um, So then it was off and running, and I never really changed course until I actually changed course. Isn't that something? So there was yeah. no one in the family. Obviously, your, your folks weren't that were doctors. You just had this seed in you that said, this is what I want to do. And you just yeah. stepped on through to it. Huh. So what would you say, Michelle, you know, what were some of your, your biggest influences or who were some of your biggest influences growing up? You know, as, as you were this little girl with wings that uh, stepped into a plane and decided she wanted to be a doctor, what, what were some of those influences on you growing up? Yeah. So most of my influencers were family members. Um, My father was a big influencer of mine. He and I are very similar in a lot of different ways. Our personalities are similar and the way we approach problems. Um, He was actually an electrical engineer and went into sales. So he did something a little bit different and 
talking to him now as an adult, I, I didn't realize this back when I was a kid, but he um, thought he was going to start a number of different companies and had a lot of ideas that he told me about, one of which he thought about seriously about buying a McDonald's franchise. Um, some, something else he told me was he was looking into real estate and had thought about buying a house in Silicon Valley but it was something like $45,000, and he thought it was too much at the time. Isn't that funny to think about? Um, so anyway, we, we were very similar, and he was a big influence on me. So his perspective and his encouragement meant a lot to me. And um, so I think that really helped me as I was going through school and the hard learning and the academics, which came somewhat easily to me, but you still have a lot of hard stuff to get through. So um, he helped me get through a lot of that with encouragement and, and support. Um, my grandfather as well, on my mother's side, um, another very entrepreneurial type of a person, he owned a laundromat and, you know, going through the Great Depression, they had that and he had, to get, he had his own business that he was running through the whole thing. So I guess entrepreneurship is in my blood, but I certainly didn't realize it back when I was planning on being a doctor. So do you think with with your father, it sounds like he had the chance to do on some of these things, and it sounds like he may have regretted not doing them. Did you ever have a conversation about regret around not taking those chances to buy the McDonald's franchise? Yeah, so no, because he ended up in a situation that he felt like was a great situation for him. He was the only IBM rep in um, the state of Colorado where we were. And, and he was just a small town person um, with a partner. And so he was able to secure that contract. And so he felt that he had, he had made it. Um, and, and he did very, very well financially. So I think although he looked at all of these different things and, you know, we all look back and think, well, what if, I don't think he has any real, real regrets because he felt like he did get a chance to pursue something. Mm. Very fascinating. So it sounds like your, your dad really made a big shift in his life and you had an entrepreneurial spirit through your maternal grandfather. What kind of conversations did you have around the, the dining room table, around the kitchen table about money? You know, what, what kind of influences was money having on you as you're growing up? Yeah. So money was something that we did not have to worry about growing up. And um, so it was somewhat of a blessing and somewhat of a curse. Mm -hmm. um, I never had to really work that hard for money or think about it and make some of those hard choices. Um, and I got to experience some of the nicer things in life early on. So I think that that um, definitely influenced me as I was growing up and thinking about what it is I wanted to do. And 10, 15, 20, 40 years ago, doctors were known as making a lot of money. And so I think most of my family thought this would be a good choice, not only because I was smart academically, but because I would probably have a secure financial future. Interesting. So going into undergrad and then medical school as you did, uh, I had the, the pleasure of listening to you on my friend, Nidarko, another past 
podcast guest that we'll make sure to link out to his interview with you as well as the um, his podcast um, was when you when you were dealing with going to medical school it sounds like things were pretty comfortable and you mentioned not having to worry about money and not having to really work at it was debt something that was part of the the picture for you as you were going through that financial journey or did your folks just take care of um, those bills so I definitely received help let's um, let's just put it that way um, that that was probably the first time where I had to look at uh, debt and money really seriously but I did have some help so I was very blessed by that hmm so Tell us about you're in medical school, and in, in your interview with me, you talked about how things were going pretty well for you, and you started getting to this point where, gosh, I'm not sure I want to be in clinical medicine. When it came to your finances, what was that like? You know, were you scared of that change? sounds like you may have had some student debt. What, what was that looking like for you, Michelle, as you were looking at not being a physician in clinic? So that was a very scary time. Then and in my internship, looking at my future and thinking, well, if I'm not a practicing clinician, what does my financial picture look like? And those were times where I was looking at counting every penny, especially in residency in my internship. Um, I mean, half of my paycheck went to rent and bills. So sometimes towards the end of the month, I was struggling to buy groceries. And, you know, I like a lot of organic food and things that are sometimes a little more expensive. And so that was constantly on my mind of, well, you know, this is going to change, and what does this look like? And um, But at the same time, I was so dissatisfied and miserable that I really felt like there's got to be something else that I can do, and there is this is not the only way that I can make money. Um, so while finances was definitely something I thought about when I was considering transitioning or just looking at my situation and wondering what I was going to do, I was so unhappy that it was almost secondary. What do you think was making you unhappy? What, what was behind that? Yeah, I wish I could answer that question with one sentence. Um, I struggled for years with being able to tell people what it was. And I finally come to the conclusion that it's not just one thing. And that's what I tell other physicians when they come to me or when they ask me about it or when they're trying to figure out how to talk about it themselves, because it's one of the biggest questions that people have. Um, you know, why? Why do, why do I feel this way? And how do I communicate this to others in a way that doesn't sound negative or um, doesn't present me as being weak? And so I don't know the one reason. Um, there were multiple things. The, the actual work was not as fulfilling to me as I felt like it should be if I was going to be spending so much of my time doing it for the next 40 years. Um, I couldn't see myself doing any of the specialties. And so I chose pathology because I thought, well, this would be one area of medicine that's a little bit different. 
And so maybe this is going to be the solution because I'm still a doctor and I'm just practicing in a different way. Um, turned out not to be, but um, that was just one of the, the many things that were going through my head at that time. Hmm. So it sounds like you were really struggling. Do you remember a specific moment in time where <laughs> you was like, I can't take it anymore? Or how did that decision come about? So there were a lot of those moments when I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know that most doctors go through that. Um, there, there wasn't just one where I, you know, ripped off my white coat and threw it down and said, I'm out of <laughs> here and stormed out kind of a thing. Um, yeah. I had multiple conversations with people and it was really hard for me to know who to trust then. And I made some bad choices. And so my exit was um, a little bit more forced than I would have wanted it to be. And so I know that's a problem that a lot of physicians face is who do I trust and how do I make sure that this happens on my terms and not somebody else's? Um, Because medicine and healthcare are, they're tough right now and they always have been. The way we treat each other, the way um, the perspectives that all physicians have, it's, it's really hard to know who to trust. And so that's why I do a lot of what I do because I'm a safe place for people to come. And I know a lot of other physicians who are safe. And so it it really helps um, people who are struggling with how to communicate it, what to say, to to figure that out. Because you can't just do it in your own head. You have to really talk it out. Um, Well, I know a lot of of physicians are concerned with getting – medical help themselves just because they don't want it to be on their record uh, with concern of what what may happen with the fallout from that. So seeking a psychiatrist or someone of of that to deal with these feelings is a no-no for many physicians. That's right. That's right. I know sometimes there's a fear of being reported and sometimes there is actual, that fear is not just a fear that, that there can be um, that can happen. So absolutely, it's, it's really hard to know what to do when you're going through that. And what about for you? I mean, when you were going through that, were you, it sound, sounded like that you may have chosen some bad confidants. You know, what, what do you think people can learn from that part of the, the journey? Were, were the people that you were close to, colleagues? Without naming names, of course, but, you know, what, mm-hmm. what, what do you think went went wrong with that process to help us better learn from your journey? Sure, yeah. So I can tell you that some other physicians are going to be not the right people to talk to. It's got to be physicians who have been through this or considered it um, because if a physician has never considered a transition, he or she is sometimes less able to um, to really process why someone might not want to be a practicing clinician. And it's no one's fault. It's just the way that our personalities are and maybe that they've been trained. Um, so yes, there were some physicians that did not understand. And, um, and so that was hard. But one of the, the, biggest, um, the biggest mistakes that I made was uh, calling to try to find out what my rights were as a resident. And I mean, I look back and think how stupid I was because, I mean, it basically had no rights, but I ignorantly thought that maybe I did. And, you know, now, what, 15 years out, I realize I should have because 
here I am, a resident physician, and really at the mercy of so many people. So I, I called the um, the graduate medical office to kind of ask, well, a few questions about possibly taking a leave of absence or um, very, very benign questions, I thought. And it turns out that those were questions that triggered some alarms and people um, started asking me questions and um, notifying some of my attendings. And so it kind of snowballed. And um, wow. Was not a good thing. Yeah. So I didn't. I didn't get forced out, but it was. I had to explain myself pretty fast. And back then, I was not at a point where I could explain myself. So it was. It was a terrible time. So if you could do that over again, where knowing what you know now, where would you start? If you're back and giving giving Michelle uh, advice, a younger Michelle in residency, where would you tell her to start? Yeah. Well, so that's why I started the company because nothing like me existed back then. I had no idea that doctors could be non-clinical. I didn't even know what that meant other than maybe pharma, maybe insurance. I talked to a couple people who said I could do insurance reviews and a couple people who said maybe I could be in sales and pharma. And so that was all I knew or all I thought. I, I had no, no idea. LinkedIn wasn't around. And a lot of these vehicles where we can connect with people that we don't know who are doing things that we might want to do, we're not there. So I started the company back in 2008, Physicians Helping Physicians, after I kind of got through my own transition and had wished there was someone to help me. So by pulling together the people who had helped me, my own experience, I started mentoring other physicians. And you know, almost 10 years later, it's grown tremendously to the point where it's a community now. And I have people that can help others. I help others through talking to them, through connecting them. Um, so that's, you know, I'm, I'm wishing for something that wasn't there back then, but <laughs> it is now. Well, I, I have to wonder that especially for residents and younger physicians. I mean, I've talked to many of them that have $200,000, dollars $400,000 of student debt. I mean, that's got to play a big piece of the puzzle here. And 15 years ago, I mean, certainly uh, it, it wasn't easy then, but easier than now, I, I have to imagine. What do you, would you tell a young physician that has that much in debt and they're, they're wanting to make a transition out of medicine. You know, I, I feel like a lot of doctors are, are caught between a rock and a hard place where it's like, I need to make this amount of money in order to pay the bills and pay off the student loans. And if they've been relying on public service loan forgiveness or something of, of that nature, then they're, they're stuck uh, in many cases, it feels like, for, for them from their perspective. What would you say to that? Yeah, I get that question quite a bit. So no one's ever stuck. Um, jobs that are outside of clinical medicine can often allow someone to make even more than they would make in clinical medicine. So that's something that people don't know, and it is definitely true. Being unhappy every single day, yelling at traffic, um, not around for your family, deeply unhappy yourself, depressed, some people are suicidal, it's not worth it you can go do something else and you can make good money, um, whether you're a student, a resident, or a physician. The one 
thing I do see in some of the physicians that I work with, those that are anywhere from about 55 to 65, is that what they're making and in practice being out of training for, you know, 20, 25 years, sometimes more, it's, and being at that point in their career and their life, it's a little bit harder to transition into something um, where they can make a comparable amount or more. Um, but at that point, the, there usually isn't a loan situation going on. The debt has been paid down to a great extent, if not completely paid off. Um, right. So that's, that's been interesting to me. So help, help lead me through your journey you know, of doing what you've been doing. From what I understand, you have about three different irons in the fire, sounding something like me, with different entrepreneurial ventures. What, what did you start out with, Michelle? You know, what was the, as you got out of residency, what was the first business that you had? Yeah, so my first transition was as a wellness director for a brokerage firm. And that job was a good job because I was doing something that was still somewhat related to my medical degree, but I wasn't taking care of patients in the traditional sense. So employees were kind of my patients. I was helping companies to design, implement, and evaluate wellness programs and helping to increase engagement in employees to get involved in doing them. And it's a very interesting area. Um, it's one that can be lucrative and has also got a nice career trajectory. Um, and then so that allowed me to finally find a job where I was happy and I was doing something I felt good about. And that kind of increased my confidence because that was my biggest mistake is losing confidence in myself. And we all do it when we're that unhappy. But once I was able to kind of get my feet under me and, and get that confidence back, that's when I realized gosh, I should really start a company to help other doctors. But it wasn't quite that aha moment. It was more of a, I'll just mentor some other doctors who have found me through hearing my story and reading articles or, or whatever, and I'll help them and then that's it. Well, that really was beneficial to them and they got so much out of that. A couple of them transitioned and I thought, well, I'll help a few more. And so that worked out really well. And I thought, you know, maybe I should, start a business. I knew nothing about starting a business, but I formed an LLC, got this website. I created it myself. My husband helped me and it, it was abominable. I mean, it's horrible. But back, you know, in 2008, you had any website up and you were ahead of the game. So um, <laughs> that's been revised a few times now. It's a little easier now to navigate. But um, yeah, it kind of happened by accident and it continued to grow organically. And it's been such a wonderful thing because I really feel the sense of accomplishment in helping other doctors. And I mean, people will tell me you're doing God's work and things that are incredible. Um, sometimes I'm like, come on, <laughs> you, you know, really, come on here. But it's, it, it really helps a lot of people who feel very lost, very scared, directionless, and, and that's the intent. All right, well, let's take a pause here for a second and go to our commercial break. Maybe you're sitting here right now wondering, how am I ever gonna be able to pay off this debt? Or maybe you're thinking, I am so confused by this financial lingo. I need to get a better handle on this financial stuff. Or maybe you are thinking of buying your first home or getting a new job, or maybe you are wondering how you can keep insurance cheap. 
And that's why, my friends, this month I have a very special announcement for you. My newest book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is about to become available. We've been at this for years, and it is coming out soon. The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life. This book is over 300 pages, and it is packed with tons and tons of actionable content. It's pretty much everything you need to think about financially. Whether you're a medical student, a resident, a fellow, a newly minted attending, or even a longer term practicing physician. So here's what you need to do. Text Dr. Book to 44222. And I will let you know the second it is available to buy. As a matter of fact, I'll even give you a discount. This book, my friends, it's co-authored with past podcast guest John Apino from Contract Diagnostics and Amanda Liu from Dr. Wiseman. When you buy the book, you are not only investing in your financial future, you are also taking part in a really important charitable mission. And that's because the profits of the Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life will be given to the Physician's Support Initiative and to the college funds for Amanda's daughter. And we're doing this because you may remember that Amanda tragically passed away about a year ago. And this charitable mission is being done in her memory. Because this charitable mission is so, so, so important to me, I'm only going to offer this discount through the end of the year. And then we're going to sell the book at retail price because we want to raise as much money as we possibly can. So to snag your copy now, text Dr. Book to 44222. Again, text Dr. Book to 44222. And now back to the show. I want to dig back into that a little deeper. So you, you started this wellness position. It sounded like that was like a W-2, you were an employee. Am I capturing yeah. that right? Or were you an independent contractor that they nope, hired? I was, I was an employee. I was the director of a department and I managed that department. The It was a small department, obviously, but I ended up managing a couple of people after a while. Um, so yes, I was an employee. And during this time, you mentioned, I believe you're, you're married, right? Did you get married during this time period? Yes. So I met my spouse in my residency. And so he was with me through the really tough period of figuring out if I should leave and then leaving, which didn't go well over, didn't go over well with the family, really, because here I am considering leaving medicine. I'm a first generation doctor and, and I've just met this man. And so, you know, it makes sense that they would think that maybe it's his fault. Um, but mm. It was not, it was a lot kind of leading up to that point. And um, he was incredibly supportive. And so we got engaged um, after I had left and then we got married um, the year later and we've been happily married now for, um, 13 years, and we have one child, and um, it's it's a great great situation. We've had to go through our own um, trials and tribulations with finances, but that's probably your next question. <laughs> well, well, I was yeah, I was kind of uh, working towards Michelle. You know, I think it's interesting. I look at my relationship with my wife, and I'm the primary breadwinner, and I own a few different businesses, which of course all have their ups and downs, and. And my wife and I have had conversations of, well, maybe she could get a gig. And the, the tough part of being a business owner is there's no guarantee of what tomorrow may bring. 
ones might people might argue the same might be true of if you're employed by someone else. But nevertheless, you have a st steady paycheck, particularly if you're in medicine with the physician shortages. I don't think you have to worry about that. I'm just wondering, was your husband during this time period someone that could provide a steady paycheck, you know, that allowed you to explore doing these these other things? You know, what what kind of pressures were on the two of you as as now you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to do it. What was that like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he has had a corporate job um, ever since I've known him. So that has been something that has helped reduce the risk. And then I had my not so corporate job, but still job. And I had several other jobs. So I didn't just jump right into owning my own business. And, and that was all I did. And with just the two of us, we we, it didn't cost a whole lot to live. We lived in a small house, and um, we paid down debt every month. We did pay for our own wedding, and looking back now, thinking about how long it took us to pay that off is kind of funny. Um, but he's always been very good about thinking budget-wise, and he's helped me tremendously with how do we budget and what does that look like. Mm. So it sounds like from your background where you didn't have to worry too much about money, but you were still keeping an eye on, on your dollars and, and cents. So it sounds like you really had a good background, but he helped to solidify that better for the two of you as you go and, and start your, your entrepreneurial journey. Um, do you feel, Michelle, like there were some big mistakes you guys made as you went along this route of, of having a business? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's always mistakes, right? So when um, with my business, it's I've been lucky enough to, to do pretty well. And then with the other work that I did, I was able to work and start my side businesses um, at the same time. So that kind of helped alleviate some of the financial stressors. And then him working um, also contributed. But I mean, we did our fair share of stupid mistakes. So we bought a house that was too big for us and probably too expensive, and we still had our smaller house, which we ended up having to rent out because after the crash in 2008, you know, we were underwater in that house. So, I mean, how crazy is that? We go out and buy another house, but we did. Um, <laughs> and then um, we almost made the mistake of buying a franchise ourselves, although those franchise owners out there might argue that we made a mistake not buying one. Um, for us, I think it would have been a mistake. So um, those are just a few of the things that, that we've gone through together. Well, I think it makes you stronger. You know, I think when, when you learn from your mistakes and you don't just keep on making the same ones over and over. Um, so that's fantastic that the two of you have been able to recover, it sounds like, from some of those things. Um, Michelle, for, for someone that is considering non-clinical careers, what, and they're talking to you, what would be the first couple of things you would have them think about in order to determine what field might be right for them? Yeah. So most people come to me and they want to know what they should go do. And it's not quite that easy there are so many different options, but everyone is different, and the right option is not the right option for person A and person B. It really depends on what your goals are and what your individual situation is. 
So I work with people to figure out where it is they want to be in three years, five years, ten years, what it is about their current situation that isn't working, including their financial situation. So I often refer my CPA, um, my financial planner, to them if they don't have someone because getting your finances in order is a very, very important part about your job no matter what you're working in. Um, And oftentimes physicians have no idea what their financial situation is. Either they don't have time or we're not equipped. We don't learn budgeting. We don't learn accounting in school. Um, Those are things I learned about in business school, but I still wasn't perfect at it. So if you've never had those classes, it makes it even harder. Um, So those are some of the things we do first. Interesting. So what what might make a a good person a match for let's say um, doing what you were doing, which was some sort of nutritional consulting versus um, maybe being a courtroom um, medical specialist or you know help us understand what what might make a good fit for one non clinical job versus another yeah. So it depends on if you want a full transition or a part transition. Some people want to do something on the side and diversify their career while still keeping a toe in the water of clinical. Um, And some people want to transition fully. So that's, that's an important distinction to make. You don't have to make that distinction right away, but it's going to have to be made at some point because that will determine what your options are. Um, Geographic location is important. Can you move? Can you not? doesn't matter, but it's still important to know. Um, Even financial situation, um, some people can take a cut and pay, at least at the beginning, and then work their way back up. Some people cannot, and that's really important to know. What kind of flexibility you need in your day is important. Many physicians work maybe a four-day week or even a three-day week or even less, and going from that to working nine to five, Monday through Friday, is something that they just think they could never do and and really would not be successful at. And so that's an important consideration. So there are many things that one has to really consider before jumping into something because the last thing you want to do is get yourself in a bad situation and have to extract yourself. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine that. Um, could, Could you walk us through a couple situations where you've seen physicians successfully transition from one to the other and and besides yourself, you know, and what those look like? Sure. Yeah. So one situation that I can tell you about is a quick transition where someone will contact me and we'll talk about some of those things we just talked about that are important when you're considering a transition. And then I'll talk to them about some of the tools that are out there, such as LinkedIn, that's the most obvious one, and how to use it and how to get it up and running with it. And so there's a particular situation, particular physician I'm thinking about. I'm not going to say his name, um, but he's on my website. And he, three months, he took what I told him in our, our regular calls and took it to the next level very quickly. And sometimes luck comes into it, of course. There are a lot of non-controllables here, but... He transitioned within three months, and it was amazing. Um, it had been year, he was trying on his own for years. And I mean, was I the catalyst? Maybe to a point, but what makes someone transition successfully is not just the fact that they talk with me. It's their 
motivation and their positive attitude and a lot of those other things that come into it. Um, those are the people that transition the quickest and the most successfully. Um, on the flip side, there's another physician that I work with, again, also on my website, who it took him years to transition. And we had regular conversations. Um, and he's still a friend. Both of these two are still friends. And trying to figure out, well, what's the best route? We tried multiple jobs. Um, we did a little bit of extra schooling, a certificate program. He eventually did go back to school. That wasn't the golden key. It's, it no longer is. Um, he had to take another job, which I encouraged him to do, which led to another job, which finally led to the job that he's in now where he's making more than he made as a surgeon. So it is definitely possible for anyone, no matter what your obstacles are. There are a lot of non-controllables there, so I can't tell anyone when they first start talking to me how long it will take, but anyone can do it if they really want to. Well, I love that that piece of advice and and everyone's journey of course is different and as you mentioned there's a whole bunch of different variables in there whether it's financially or whether it's location wise i mean i just think about even practicing medicine we talk about this all the time someone in alaska a primary care can get paid two or three times the amount of a primary care physician in southern california for example so uh, an ability to be flexible i would guess would probably help someone do it quicker versus someone that has kids and they're tied into their school districts and their family and can't really move. Yes, definitely. And the funny thing is sometimes people will first come to me and tell me, look, moving is not an option. We like where we are. It's not going to happen. And okay, that's, that's great. I need to know what those non-negotiables are as we're working to help you. But then several months later, after learning about different options, talking to a lot of other physicians who have transitioned, really taking a hard look at this and working hard at it, and suddenly people become more flexible and people have moved where they've initially said there's just no way. Now, is it absolutely required that someone relocate? No. There are many people who work remotely, many people who transition successfully who do not relocate. Um, in fact, one of those success stories that I just told you about did not relocate. So it's, not, it's something people fear, which understandable. But once you start really looking at this big picture, you realize that there's a lot more at stake here than just some of those things that you think you can't change. And when you're looking at your life and your happiness and your family's happiness, um, that becomes the number one priority. Sounds good. No, I'm I'm following you. I think it's it's just interesting how each of us go down these different paths. And as I think about this, and I, I hear you talking, I really think of kind of the difference between an entrepreneurial physician and physicians that have a job per se. And I'm wondering if you could help us understand for those of us that maybe don't want to be in clinical medicine anymore, how can someone best understand which of those two paths might be better suited? Or do you see people generally leaning more towards being employed, for example, versus entrepreneurial type ventures? Help us understand those differences, Michelle, and what kind of physician might fit better into one category than another. Yeah. 
So most physicians are very entrepreneurial, and I'm not sure what, why, but we all have a lot of ideas. And some physicians have patents on various devices or processes, and they're still practicing. Um, so it's, it's not unusual. It, it's really very personality-driven, and most people kind of know if they're more entrepreneurial or if they would rather just work for somebody. And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, very, it's not tied into specialty or being a physician. It's more of just like you and I and, and all the people around us. It, it just really depends more on you and your personality and how you work best. Okay. Okay. Any uh, tools that you would recommend for folks to check out that might be helpful to them as they explore perhaps non-clinical opportunities? Yeah, there are a lot more out there than there used to be, so that's the good news. Um, my website, of course, um, tons of free information and um, videos and different um, options for people who are considering transition. There's also the Physicians Renaissance Network, another physician, a hand surgeon who left clinical medicine before I did, actually. We met after I had transitioned and became friends, and he's an amazing, amazing person. He now is a medical writer. He's in medical communications, and he owns his own company. So we're both very entrepreneurial. Um, that's another good site to check out. LinkedIn is, of course, a great treasure trove of information and people and connections. Um, there are a lot of coaches out there. Heidi Moab, she was another interview that you did a few months ago, I believe. And she's another physician who works non-clinically. She's gotten into medical writing. Another friend of mine, a lot of us know each other just because we're being non-clinical is everyone kind of bands together and you see the same people at different places. So we've known each other for a while and she's got a nice website too where there's some good information um, and then your website. So there's, there's a lot of resources. Well, thank you for the plug. <laughs> Always appreciate it. And definitely check out Heidi. She has a lot of great information on there. And um, I'd love to just kind of circle back for a little bit, Michelle, in terms of, uh, you mentioned in your life, you know, you made some mistakes, it sounds like, whether it was your, your, your rental house and kind of how, how that went. Um, for someone that, that is interested in the financial aspects and whether or not it could work for them, could you fill us in in terms of how do you now think about kind of your progress to financial freedom, about your finances and, and where they're at today? Mm-hmm. There, there's a good tool out there called Mint, um, M-I-N-T, and I believe it's free. Maybe there's a paid version now, but my husband and I have used that for budgeting. It really comes down to budgeting, and we have several different budgets. Um, we track them in Mint. We track them in spreadsheets. There's no golden key panacea. It's really just doing it. I know that if I have free reign to just spend, I will. And I think it's probably something a lot of people will do. So if I know I have a certain amount of money each month in a certain account, I call it our, our operations account, and I have a certain amount there. And when it's gone, it's gone. And that's it. And you have to have the discipline to, even though you have money somewhere else, not pull it over. Um, yeah. It's a good exercise. It's really good. And so as we sort of look at financial freedom and being debt-free, um, Doing it that way and then just paying in full for things, buying cars outright, paying for vacations outright, 
so that when you come back, there's not thousands of dollars of debt that you're still paying off, um, not saying yes to those deals that the furniture stores have or whoever has to just not pay now but pay later. Um, those are some of the tricks that we've used in order to accumulate savings and um, just, again, work our way towards being not only debt-free but able to really go and do what it is we'd like to do. Well, amen to that. That sounds sounds like you're you're really gotten on top of it after struggling for a, a little bit. So, what does financial freedom mean for you? You know, what what how would you define financial freedom for yourself? Yeah. So, financial freedom for me is time, and it's time for me to spend with my child. It's time for me to spend with my husband. Time for me to spend doing things I want to do, whether they're productive or not. Gardening, cooking. I love to bake gluten-free. I'm gluten-free, so practicing and experimenting is, is a lot of fun. But I don't get paid for those things, and so. <laughs> yep. No, I love it. Um, and so with with what you have, Michelle, and, and our conversation together, thank you for being vulnerable and open and honest about your journey. We talked a little bit earlier about advice you would give to yourself when you were a resident. What other advice would you leave with us as something, a a lesson we can take away from this conversation today? I would say that if if you're unhappy, figuring out why you're unhappy, whether it's your finances, whether it's your job, whether it's your relationships, figuring out what the root cause of it is, is really important. And you can change those things. So, no matter what it is, maybe you're very happy in your job, but you're not happy with your finances and it seems out of control. There are tools, there are ways to get a handle on any of this stuff. And just having that resilience and kind of looking past the, um, the fear and the dread and the, um, all the things that hold us back, that, that will help you move forward in your life. Great advice. Great advice. And Michelle, where can we find you if we want to locate you on the web and and look you up? Uh, I'm all over the place. You can Google me and find a number of different things. I have another business. You can see that and um, visit my website. You can contact me there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on all of those. So it's not hard to find me. Um, (laughs) And I I welcome anyone who has questions or wants to reach out. I try to respond to everyone personally as time permits. Perfect. And I believe uh, Physicians Helping Physicians, so if people are interested in in coaching with you, that's phphysicians.com. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And it's no longer just me. So actually we've grown to the point where there are multiple people behind the scenes helping me, helping you, helping everyone who comes to me. It's a community now. And um, that was only possible because there's so many people who want to transition and then help those who are coming behind them. So it's really a movement. Very, very interesting. And it's wonderful to see because it helps so many people. Well, I guess we'll have to talk more about that another time because we're out of time here, Michelle. Any other final thoughts you want to leave us with? Thanks so much for having me. So happy to be able to, to talk with you today and um, let me know if I can help you in any way. All right, my friends. Well, there you have it. 
uh, in this next podcast. I would love to have the chance to tell your story just like we talked about Michelle's today. It would be my honor to host you. And, of course, like usual, big favor to ask of you, if you love this podcast, I would ask you to grab your friend's iPhone or iPad or Android device or whatever they got and download this podcast and download some of your favorite episodes because that certainly helps us to spread the word. And if they love it, you take all the credit for it. And if they hate it, you blame it on me and say it was all my fault. <laughs> have more questions, want to check out the books and resources, contact me, Dave, at drfreedompodcast.com or on my website, www.drfreedompodcast.com. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Hey, this is Dave Denniston, and I hope you love today's episode. If you do and you want more ideas on achieving financial freedom, I am committed to helping you end your year right. And that's why, my friend, the last two months of the year here, I have a very special announcement for you. My newest book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is about to become available. This book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is over three hundred pages. Yes, 300 pages. It's packed with tons and tons of actionable content. It's pretty much everything you need to think about financially, whether you're a medical student, a resident, a fellow, a newly minted attending, or even if you've been practicing for a long time. So here's what you need to do. Text Dr. Book to 44222. And I will let you know the second it is available, and I will make sure to give you an early bird discount. And as I may have mentioned previously, uh, this book is especially near and dear to my heart because we are going to have a charitable mission for this book. The profits of this shall go two ways. One way to the Physician Support Initiative that was founded by my co-author, Amanda Liu, who tragically passed away, as well as to her daughter to provide some money for college. This is so important to me, so I'm only going to offer this as a discount through the end of the year, and then we're going to be selling the book at retail price, my friends. To snag your copy now and get on the early bird list, text Dr. Book to 44222. Again, text Dr. Book to 44222. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Enjoy.